Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I said at the beginning of the service, we're continuing our sermon series with these Bible verses that serve as words to live by, Christian mottos for our lives. So far, we've seen the Apostle Paul remind us that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then we looked last week at the idea of being peacemakers, that we want to live at peace with all people as far as it depends on us. Today, we'll have the Apostle Paul remind us what it means to glorify God with our lives. It's easy to say those words, right? I, I'm going to live to God's glory. But, but you know how unnatural that is to us. We don't naturally want to highlight and spotlight somebody else because all of us struggle with a sinful nature that makes us self-centered and selfish. Do you find this interesting? I'm really good at understanding the selfishness of other people, but I'm often a little bit blind to my own self-centeredness. Somebody once said this, that, that everyone is self-centered. Some have just learned to hide it better than others. Maybe that's true. But I think the Apostle Paul will give us reason to bring that into question today. And it has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with me. We can't bring glory to God on our own. But God changes hearts. And it's God who empowers us to live to glorify him. The Apostle Paul's words today that we're going to focus on as words to live by come from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. As we look at these verses today, we'll talk about glorifying God. And as we do, I, I want to focus on two different parts of, of how it is that we glorify God with our lives. And it has to start with God. When we remember and and rejoice at why God did what he did to save us. That's when we in turn understand why we do what we do to serve him and others. I'd like to back up to the beginning of the section that we read a little bit earlier to understand where Paul's words are coming from here that we want to give glory to God in all things. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in verses 23 and 24. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. It's an interesting discussion that Paul enters into here, and, it, and it's the middle of a section that has spanned three chapters as Paul has talked about Christian freedom or Christian liberty. What does it mean that we have freedom in Jesus? Well, it, it starts with Christ, doesn't it? We have freedom from sin because Jesus paid for all of the sins of every person on the cross. We have freedom from obedience to the law because Jesus already went and came to this life to obey that law for us. So that freedom that we have is, is something to rejoice over. But you almost get the sense that the Corinthians were trying to abuse that freedom a little bit. Paul uses quotation marks when he says, I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial, Paul says. Not everything is constructive. You see, it has to start with the riches that you and I have from the forgiveness that Jesus has won for us. All right, it's a little bit of 
teaching time this morning. Some of you are going to remember this word because maybe you've heard it before or had to learn about it before, but, but I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you are familiar with the word adiaphora? Raise your hand if you know that word. How many of you can define the word adiaphora? Okay, maybe you've heard it, but adiaphora is the idea of things that aren't commanded or forbidden by God. In other words, God doesn't specifically say in his word, yes, you have to do this. He doesn't specifically say in his word, no, you can't do that. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that I wish my Bible was more of a direct source for every question that I've ever had. I would love to page open, open my Bible and page through it and say, well, here's the situation. How am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? Wouldn't that be great? But that's not how God does it. He gives us his love in Jesus. He gives us guidance for our Christian lives and a lot of things are left up to our discretion. Now, he gives us guidance for that too and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in chapter 8, Paul is talking and then again in chapter 10 about meat. Food that has been sacrificed to idols. I know there's not maybe great application for that for us today, but, but just understand what's happening in this Greek culture. So if you went to the market on any given day, there would be meat for sale that you could take home with you. And at times, that meat had been used as part of a pagan ritual, a sacrifice to a false god. And Paul says, it's just meat and God is the one who made it so you can eat it without any qualms of conscience, right? And for most people, that was no problem. But for some, they couldn't get it out of their head that that meat had been used for something that wasn't God-pleasing. And so Paul gives some direction about how to use the freedom that you have in a situation like that. I don't know about you, but, but I think as I look around our world today, we have people who demand their freedoms. They demand that nobody can encroach on anything that, that they believe they have the right to do. We fight for those rights. We dig in our heels, right? And, and, and it's all about me. It's all about what I want. That's why it's so amazing to hear Paul's words. Yes, you have the freedom to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is constructive. And then he drops the real truth on us. No one should look out for their own good, but for the good of others. That one hits kind of hard, doesn't it? Because that's a difficult thing to do. It does not come naturally to us to think about others before we think about ourselves. But that's at the heart of what Paul's talking about as he gets to that verse that we're going to focus on, do all to the glory of God. Paul gives us a little bit more help. He says this in verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's a big world. Just stop to think about that for a minute. How amazing it is that everything in this world and every person in this world belongs to God. We are his very own. Not a thing, not a thing escapes God's notice in this life. Everything is under his control. Now, I, I want to put this in a little perspective this morning. A and maybe we can start simply by asking this question, why? Why would the God of the universe, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, why would he care about me? Why would he care about you? Here's some perspective. If you're a student here at the University of Wisconsin, you are one of about 40,000 undergrads. Yes, a small city is what 
is attending the University of Wisconsin as an undergrad. I would imagine from time to time as, as you walk to class and you see all of the people that are on the sidewalk, you, you can kind of feel like, well, you're just another number. And, and it's about 50,000 if you add in the graduate students that are here on campus. But, but let's take the scope out a little bit further. If you live in Madison, you are one of 260,000 people who live in the city of Madison. Or, if you live in the state of Wisconsin, you're one of about 6 million people who live in the state of Wisconsin. Or, we might as well just talk about the whole world, you're one of over 7 billion people. Those numbers are staggering. But God knows you. He knows exactly where you're at in your life. He knows exactly what you need. And he loves you. God loved the world in this way, we're told. He sent Jesus, his only son, so that whoever lives and, will, lives and believes in him will have eternal life. That's the love that God has for each one of us. And it's the why. The why God did what he did is plain and simple love, grace. He cares about you and me. And then he takes that love and he says, I want you to do something with it. I want you to live your life in thanksgiving for the love that I have shown you first. It's the answer to the why we do what we do. We do what we do not for our own glory, not to make ourselves look good, not to have somebody pat us on the back, but to highlight the love that God has for us first. It's one of my favorite stories. I've used it in a devotion during Triple Dollar Dinner before, but I wanted to share it today. And Maybe some of you have heard it, the boy and his boat. Story goes like this. A boy is saving up his allowance, all his money that he gets for his birthday and Christmas because he just wants to buy this model boat. And when he finally has enough money, he gets to the store, he buys the boat, he brings it home, he carefully puts it all together, he gets to paint it just how he wants to, and when it's all finished, it's time to let it set sail on its first voyage. And so he takes it down to the little creek, and he sets it in the creek, only he misjudged the swiftness of the current. And before he knew it, he was running along the bank, and he cannot keep up with his brand new boat that he just put in the water, and... After a few minutes, he can't find it. It's long gone. Of course, he's crushed. And he's walking downtown and the next day and he looks in the window of the second-hand store and there's his boat. He runs home. He empties his piggy bank. He asks to borrow some money because he just has to get his boat back and he goes to the owner and he pays for the boat. And as he's carrying it home, he looks at his boat and says, You are twice mine. I made you and I bought you back. That's us. We are twice gods. He not only made us, but he redeemed us. He sent his son to buy us back from sin, from death, to an eternity with him. That's our reason for glorifying him. It's why Paul says so clearly, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's talk about that word glory just for a moment. Glory is, is an interesting concept in the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament word kavod is, comes up many times when God appears in a cloud. Whether it was the pillar of cloud that was called the glory of the Lord or, or the cloud that settled on Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given or the cloud that filled the temple after Solomon dedicated it. That's the glory of the Lord. 
In the New Testament, the Greek word is doxa. And that word simply means to have an opinion. But in the New Testament, the usage is always having a good opinion of someone or something. And in this case, it's God who we have a good opinion about. And again, that's not something that we get to decide. God doesn't need us to look at him and say, yep, he's worthy of all praise. It's his very essence to be glorified. It is part of who he is. His greatness no one can fathom. And so here we are today, singing his praises, hearing his word, all because we praise and honor and glorify him. But I want to go back to why Paul spoke these words to begin with, and it has to do with using things that God hasn't forbidden or commanded. And so we have to ask ourselves two questions. When it's time, when we face these decisions of should I or shouldn't I, God doesn't say yes, God doesn't say no, there are two questions we should ask ourselves. Question number one is simply this. Is what I'm about to do, what I'm going to participate in, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do, does that bring honor and glory to God or is it something that might lead me further away from him? And when we've answered that question, then a second question should be asked. And that question just goes like this. Is my participation in what I'm about to do or say, is that something that is going to help my neighbor in their relationship with God? Or might my actions and words hurt my neighbor in their relationship with God? That's how we use the Christian freedom that God has given us. That's how we give glory to God in all things. When we think about him and we think about others in our service to him, it really is about a lifestyle. It's about thinking of what God has done for us and then letting that flow through us in the way that we live for others. What God wants is for you to remember the joy that is yours. The joy that every sin is forgiven in Jesus. The joy that an eternal life is waiting for you with him forever because of what Jesus has done. And then let that joy spill over into your life. A few takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, God has made us and redeemed us for the purpose of honoring him. The Apostle, Paul, or the Apostle Peter wrote it this way, We belong to him to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Number two, God's glory is always evident, yet he provides us a lifetime to reflect his glory. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Finally, number three, with gratitude in our hearts, we live for our God and serve others. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Maybe it's kind of a buzzword today. I've heard lots of people using this word outside of Christian circles too, to live with, with gratitude. And the idea that gratitude changes everything, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because we live in a world that doesn't want you to be grateful. It doesn't want you to be thankful. And I want you to think about that just for a moment. How often we're bombarded with messages, whether it's in advertising or on social media, we're bombarded with these messages that somehow our life isn't quite as fulfilling as it could be. If only, if only you had this, if only you could do this, if only you could vacation here, then, then your life would be fulfilling. It's hard to be grateful when you're always chasing the carrot that seems to be dangling in front of you and never can be reached. 
So here's a challenge for you this week. Try to look at everything through a lens of thanksgiving, a lens of gratitude. And start with the riches that you have in Jesus. As you wake up every morning, remind yourself that, that you are a child of God bought with his own blood and an heir of eternal life. And then look around in your life and, and find those things that, that you have to make you grateful for all of the blessings that God gives. Here's an assignment and you don't have to bring it back to church next week. I won't check you, check up on it. But I'd like you to do this for your own benefit. Write something down or jot it in the notes on your phone. Three, five, ten, whatever you choose, write something down that you're grateful for each day this week. Do it as early in the day as you can and then, then just see if focusing on the things that you're thankful for, focusing on gratitude might not change the way that you live your life. That's what God wants. He wants you to be filled with joy at the message of forgiveness and salvation in him. And then, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.